When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Sandra Holling. Sandra helps entrepreneurs and executives design their workflow and systems to feel organized and have peace of mind. Over the past 20 years, she's managed consulting projects worth over half a million in U.S. revenue for companies with over 1,200 employees. However, she now focuses on helping smaller businesses achieve aligned productivity by prioritizing what matters to them. Thanks so much for joining me today, Sandra. Thanks, Diane. I'm happy to be here. I'm thrilled to have you here. I love systems, so I am thrilled <laughs> to have this conversation with you. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and you say that business systems should be treated as living entities. And would you share what you mean by that? Yeah, sure. So my corporate background that you were talking about in the intro uh, is referring to this history I have of working on large-scale enterprise resource planning systems. And one of the things that became very clear to me in the process of doing that work is the clients that struggled the most were the ones that wanted to set it and forget it. Mm. And so when I had clients who were more dynamic with the way they approached uh, developing both technical tools like systems and also how they developed their process, uh, they tended to just have a smoother overall kind of day-to-day experience, if you will. And so it became this uh, mantra of mine that I would lead with very often is like, if you haven't touched the system in 10 years, like it's, to me, it's like, no wonder that you're struggling now. Like, what if we gave it some TLC along the way? Yeah, boy, I, I, I am so with this. And, and, so that leads me to um, asking you to elaborate on, so if we stick with the same principles for too long, they become obsolete. Why, like what happens there? Why is that? Well, I mean, I think there's a couple of pieces, right? First of all, uh, technology just evolves so, so, so mm. fast and and faster as we go along, right? So like if we think about the last 20 years versus 20 years from where we are, to like 2042 or whatever, like it's going to get exponentially more complex and detailed 
And potentially some of that complexity is going to be more behind the scenes with the, you know, evolution of no code and drag and drop tools. But um, I think that it's, it's having a, almost like a growth mindset in the face of your systems and saying like, you know, how are we going to use these so that our most valuable resource, our staff, our employees, um, even contractors, if you're running a business where you're relying predominantly on contractors, are empowered to do their job effectively and efficiently based on the tools I'm giving them. And if we're not leveraging the, you know, and it's not to say that we need to be shiny object and always adopting a new tool, right? Like there's a happy medium in there in terms of, um, do we change to new things or do we just review what we're doing and making sure that the workflow and the pathway is really uh, streamlined for, for using the tools we already have? Oh, that's great. I was going to ask you that. So, so thank you for, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because, you know, I could, I could imagine people listening and thinking, whoa, wait a minute. You mean this, I'm just going to be, you know, every time I see something that looks like it might be good, I need to go ahead and adapt it. And that's not what you're saying. You're, no. you're saying you need to pay attention. Mm -hmm. Quite the opposite. In fact, I would say that it's almost always, uh, best to start with looking at your team and how they're interacting. And that's actually the core of what my consulting practice does these days is we do do technical work ultimately, like that's the sort of outcome or result that you get to write down that we achieved. But at the heart of it, it's talking about how is your team interacting with each other and how are the tools impacting that, especially with the, um, dramatic growth in remote work since, you know, COVID and everything else, uh, like our reliance on these tools is just increasing um, day by day. And if like, just to bring a particular tool into the puzzle here, so we have something to, to play with, like if we talk about how people use Slack, most people take Slack and they just sort of throw it into the foray there and like let people have at it and there's no process developed and no protocol and even with just like the teensy it's tiny like tiny little pieces of um intention or thoughtfulness about how do we start new threads what types of uh, channels do we want to have are we tagging or not tagging and just being consistent and, and intentional can make it a, a world of difference in how your team actually experiences using that tool. And then you're actually creating leverage because it's improving communication as opposed to being this nonstop um, interruption to your focus day where you're, you're hearing that lovely knock brush sound that we're all so familiar with every five seconds. You know, I, this so resonates with me. I, I, as you're talking about this, I'm remembering, um, you know, many years ago when I was working for a company and they were bringing in a new um, software system and they didn't talk to every department. They just, mm. I, you know, just talked to, um, I think, fulfillment and brought this whole system in and it didn't work for the sales department at all. It ended up creating more work for the salespeople than we had before. And so, you know, I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, this is so valuable to make sure that you are really connecting the dots on what everyone needs and what information you want to be capturing and 
what you want people to be able to doing so that when you're choosing how you're going to create these systems, you're doing it in a way that benefits everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny you bring that up because often when I would work with corporate clients, there would be someone in the room who would, who would complain that the system we were working on air quote just doesn't work. And for context, the system was designed like ages and ages ago. So it was a very uh, antiquated platform compared to what most of us are used to now with web-based apps. Um, but nonetheless, their complaint would be that it air quote doesn't work. And in reality, like 99% of the time it worked just fine. It was a training issue. It's, uh-huh. you know, it's a database. What you put in is what you put out garbage in garbage out. Yeah. That's the rule. So if, if you're not actually engaging with the tool, you're not going to get the leverage out of it that you need. Um, that's a good so, point. Yeah. Yeah. That, that That's a huge point. So training is definitely part of what you need to make sure you have in the mix. Yeah. So, you know, our approach is people first, which I started explaining. And then second is process. And that's where your user requirements um, and training come into the puzzle. So like in a consulting engagement in the early stages, you know, we're going to meet with different people on the team and figure out how are they actually doing their job? How are they really using this tool or the tools they have in order to execute? Because I'll tell you what, often it's not what the owner of the business thinks, right? <laughs> like there, there's more under the hood than they might be totally aware of. And the um, that becomes more and more true the larger of the organization uh, the, you know, the more employees you have, the more structure you have. Um, so it's user requirements at the beginning, because if you don't have that from the horse's mouth, so to speak, from the actual users, the odds of you missing critical pieces of information, I would say it's pretty much a hundred percent. Like you're, you, without user requirements, you're operating in the dark. And then on the flip side, at the end, you have to circle back and close that loop with thorough and proper training. Yeah, boy, it, that is really so important. And and do you find that um, a lot of, especially like on the smaller end of companies, don't like get to a point where all of a sudden they realize they need these operating procedures, they don't start with them? Yeah, I would say um, the sort of group of people that we work most often with are the entrepreneurs who have hit that success point with a core offer, and they've probably got a team of like two to five, and they're inching towards uh, scaling either or growing. And I mean those two words a little bit differently. So like scaling as in um, more leveraged way of delivering services or growing in terms of more people on the team to do what they're already doing or uh, just more sales in general. Um, And so when they get to that point, that's usually when the friction gets to a place where they realize the systems they have are not going to get them where they want to go. They might have gotten them to where they are. And then inevitably what falls out of that is, oh, there's all of these processes that really live in the business owner's head um, or the entrepreneur's head. And that's a big piece of the puzzle is finding out what are the different pieces and parts that are sort of happening without 
anybody else even realizing they're happening. Like if you have a super small organization and the entrepreneur is doing quite a lot still, and then in, you know, you go slightly larger organization, like what are the different pieces that the different employees are doing that the entrepreneur might not be aware of? And just making sure that their jobs and the responsibilities are clear and that at least the primary task or the primary function of each role is defined and documented. Like just that one little step can take, um, you know, a small organization light years ahead in terms of streamlining process. Why it's so true. It's so true. And one of the things that I say to, to founders a lot is if God forbid something happened to you, who else in the organization could just pick up mm-hmm. and, and keep going, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and and the other part of that is that they get so good at something that they don't mm-hmm. even realize what they don't think about when they're doing it, right? It's second nature. Mm-hmm. So someone else isn't going to know those nuances if they haven't been doing it. So yeah. creating those systems and processes is critical. Well, and I'm... I'm glad you bring this up because it's reminding me of a moment with a past client recently where we were just talking about the process of creating SOPs and it really boils down to, um, you know, we sometimes we'll have the idea that we know we need to do it as entrepreneurs. Like our business has been growing, like my business has been growing. And so I've been thinking about it myself. Like, where could we be a little more uh, robust in our own process documentation? And the key to it is making it as easy as possible to do. So there's multiple steps um, before you even document a process. And I would say the first is, is decide where the documentation is going to live and what are the broad categories that you want to capture and start giving yourself just a loose structure because that starts to eliminate that hurdle of just diving in and making one in 10 minutes, even if it's only a checklist the first time you do it, because then the second time you do it, you can go back and work from your checklist and you'll immediately see what little step or box you clicked or thing you did that you didn't write down the first time. And it doesn't have to be additional work or like an additional project. It can be an extra 10 minutes on a task that you're already doing. And if we're able to take that on with some you know, care and attention, it can really get us far in terms of getting those SOPs documented. Well, I really like that. So you can just sort of even start with just a brain dump and totally. get it down, right? Because yeah. then you can fine tune it over time. I would say make it dumb to start with because that makes it easy to do. So like it could be as simple as one folder on, you know, wherever you have your file structure, Dropbox or Google Drive, that's called SOPs. And then a few folders underneath it, maybe by topic. Um, Hmm. And then you just have them, it could be totally in Google Drive, like it doesn't even have to be in a fancy project management system. Um, Google Drive's great, because you can just link to it from wherever. And then it's also really easy. What I like about SOPs in Google Drive in particular, or in Google Docs specifically, is that you can see the version history and you can provide suggestions and discussion back and forth. Um, You know, we use ClickUp for project management. Most of the time, it's kind of our go-to app for for, as a recommendation for people. And it's great. And I like the docs feature there, but being able to have those kind of ongoing active conversations or even comments, active comments inside of an SOP, man, that's a game changer. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I, I've heard of ClickUp. I, I haven't used it, but I know people who have and, and really like it, I think, for you know some of those reasons. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We out. Are there warning signs that uh, like a business owner could watch for to let them know their systems need an update? Yeah, so there's a few, and I think it depends on on where we're heading, because so we we use the word systems a lot interchangeably, and sometimes what we mean really is a process, like a um, onboarding or delivery of a particular service, or offboarding or hiring or training, something like that could be a system. But then we could also use the word to mean a technical tool. So our project management system, like deciding whether or not ClickUp is a good fit or, you know, whatever other tool, monday.com or Notion or what you might be using. Um, And so I think when we're talking about systems in terms of workflow, I would look for friction in terms of like uh, either clients or team members not sure of what the steps are. Like, what is the actual order of operations for this process? Like higher level, Um, it would be probably in some ways, bigger balls getting dropped, but that also could require that there's delegation happening. So if you're doing all of it and then then you're not gonna see that ball get dropped because you're holding control. So aside from balls getting dropped in that like higher level, gap being visible. The second thing I would say is like overwhelm on the part of the entrepreneur, because a lot of us by nature, we're risk takers, we're adventurous, like we're go-getters and we can hold a lot in our heads as a result. It, It goes with the personality. And eventually we hit a tipping point where even um, us as uh, superhuman entrepreneurs cannot hold it all in our heads anymore. And, and that is also a tipping point. Yeah, that one I've experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> okay. So someone, you know, uh, experiences one of these warning signs. Mm-hmm. What is there an approach um, that they should take w- with, so that they don't feel overwhelmed? Yeah. So I always love to make things as simple as possible when we're diagnosing a problem, because it's easy to make it more complex later. Um, So I start with a brain dump, kind of like you said a minute ago, where you just have a blank piece of paper and you just write down everything that you think is going on related to this. And you might find yourself going down a little bit of a rabbit hole when you do the stream of consciousness. And that can be good. In fact, I think it's a useful practice for most entrepreneurs to like to journal. And I 
really mean by hand because it activates a different part of your brain and you will discover things that you're not facing if you embody this process. Um, But anyhow, it's like, get it out of your head on a piece of paper. It does a couple of things. One, you start to see different pathways and different connections. Two, um, it's out of your head. So you're not thinking about it quite as much. You know, you could go back and read it over. Um, Three, if you're doing it longhand, you're more likely to uh, kind of make more connections and create a different pathway for yourself than if you open up a a document and try and type an outline. Um, I'm a big outliner. Like I live in spreadsheets. I love that type of um, uh, tool and I, I love that type of work, but it's not the place for me to brainstorm a conceptual problem or a conceptual solution. That I totally get. I, I, that, that, that's great. I completely agree with that. And I like this idea of starting out small um, mm-hmm. because then it, it isn't as overwhelming and it is more manageable. And, and I, and I really am glad that you said, you know, journal in reality, you know, with pen to paper, because yeah. um, it really does help you get all those things out of your head. So then you can see them on paper and problem solving happens sort of you know, naturally that way. Mm -hmm. And in the subconscious too, like we do our best work when we're not actively facing a problem in a lot of cases. So if you do that journaling and set it aside and then go about your day, go about your week and come back to it in a regular schedule, this is part of what we do in my um, community for aligned productivity. We have a group and we meet weekly on Fridays and do a weekly review. So it's kind of baked into our process, but it's a lot of reflecting and saying like, what worked, what didn't? And there's several questions in the journaling template that we use about um, systems and like even down to self-care because as entrepreneurs, we are our most valuable assets. And so we have to take care of ourselves first or we can't take care of the business. So kind of flipping the traditional approach to productivity and systems on its head a little bit and slowing things down and looking for those pathways Um, and then the other thing I I'll say is, um, once you like step away from it and then you're able to come back at, at a set, you know, interval or, um, you start to see things differently. And I'll even add one, one additional thing to that is that if you have a team and you believe that they would have insight into this situation or problem, it's really great to have everybody do their brainstorming and journaling separately without the influence of other people and then have them all like send it to you so you can look it over and then meet together to discuss it. It's fascinating what happens the second you have everybody in a room and are talking about a single problem, there's always going to be people who are tend towards the introverted side or maybe neurodiverse and for whatever reason may just not be as confident in speaking up and pointing out a problem. But if we're able to give them that space to process separately and then come back together and problem solve together, you often find you get different and better solutions from the group overall. Oh, I love that idea. That, <clears throat> that is really great. And I'm imagining that there are misconceptions that business owners have uh, when they're approaching an operations problem. What would you say are like some of the biggest? <laughs> the one that always comes to mind is when um, people talk about wanting to get their systems dialed in. Uh, 
I, I don't know why, but it just kind of makes me giggle a little bit because I, I think of systems like we were talking at the start of that episode here. It's like, like of a living, breathing thing. Like you're going to up, especially if you're an entrepreneur, like maybe if you're a large business, you can get your process dialed in and you can double down on particular tools. But if you're an entrepreneur and you're on that fast growth path, odds are you're going to up level and then your systems are going to need to up level to keep up with you. And so it is about keeping your thumb on the pulse of things like perfect example. I was talking to a colleague this morning and I joked that I'm still using ConvertKit because it's easy and I can send out a broadcast email in like 30 seconds if I want to. But I also know that the second I want to do any sort of fancier funnel in my business, we're going to have to move to active campaign. There's no question about that. Um, and, and I have that systems knowledge to know that those are the two and, and, you know, I'll know when it's ready to, uh, when we're ready to switch. Um, but yeah, I think getting into, uh, just looking at how all the pieces are moving together, um, and then allowing space for it to evolve. And like, I think it takes the pressure off the entrepreneur too. Like if we, if we expect them to be dialed in, we're also expecting a level of perfection that might not actually be attainable, never mind in our best interest. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so now talk about it in terms of how it benefits employees and contractors. Cause you mentioned this before that even if you're working with contractors, uh, you still, you know, this is, this is still something uh, you need to be doing. What is the benefit to that side of the table? Yeah. Well, I just have this belief that our teams are our second most valuable resource aside from, you know, us as entrepreneurs being sort of the most valuable. And then our teams are, are essentially second. Um, And so if we are not giving them the tools they need to do their job, not providing, you know, and there's a fine line here between employees and, or maybe it's a not so fine line really between employees and contractors in terms of, are you hiring contractors and then mentoring them? And if that's true, would you be better off with an employee because you'll get more of their brain and more of their focus? So like we could easily go down a, what's the best process for, bringing people onto the business conversation too with this. But in terms of systems, like I have a lot of long-term contractors and I always want to make sure I'm giving them the best tool for the job. So I always say like, here's the tech stack that we're working with. And I'm happy to teach you anything I know or support you if you need, if you're not familiar with these, like I'd rather have the right person and train them on the technical skills then have somebody in most cases who's a technical whiz, but personality wise is not as good of a mesh. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think that is really, <clears throat> really important. And so um, so that feels to me like the owner probably needs to have that at least you know figured out even from a starting point maybe before bringing in contractors yeah i mean i've worked with a lot of businesses um who are right at that stage where they know they need more support or they want to grow their team and so they bring us in to help them figure out a project management system or a crm of some sort um sort of depends on what the core um 
process challenges first, and then we talk about technical tools, but we often do that before they grow and add people to their team, because the fewer people you have when you're implementing a new system, it is easier. You can get a better sense of, um, you know, it's fewer people to figure out user requirements for. And then as they come, these new people come into the business, you know, they're smart humans. You're not hiring dummies. And they're going to want to have their own say in like how things get done. They're going to want to contribute, hopefully, to the business and being um, like the business just being better overall. And so, you know, some employees, some contractors you're giving tasks to, but some you're really giving more like results or outcomes to to deliver on. And that's a, a big difference, right, um, between the two in terms of how you hand it over and what you expect of them. And it starts to get back to that training conversation does and which it also brings up another question for me um so it feels like it would be really great if a business owner could see into the future and have an idea of what they're going to need down the road so they can get something now that can be that they can grow into instead mm -hmm. of having to switch mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. when it comes to software is that even reasonable? Yeah, I don't think it's it's too far-fetched if you're clear about your business model. If you are still in the phase where you're testing a core offer, that might be trickier because like I can use myself as an example. We do a mix of um, retainers, VIP days, we have a community, and then sometimes I'll take on a coaching client um, depending on the situation, right? So that's a lot of mixed offers, right? Yeah. Um, and that that is not a scalable model. And we are very intentional about what we're doing with that. Um, and at some point, probably two, if not three of those is, are going to drop off. We're going to let them go because I know that in order to really scale what I have, it, it's going to be a lot easier if I can put all my time, energy, and attention into one model, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of foundation is like, what is your business model? Um, because the the tools that I need to run my community, like member space and circle, and, you know, we send a lot of emails. So I convert kit could fit into that are very different than the tools I need to run my consulting practice. Like nobody buys consulting work from my email list. They buy it because they've been referred to me or they hear me on a podcast. Right. Um, like that's, that's where that comes from. So it's a very different business model. And for those, I need, you know, a really strong project management system. And uh, it's just different. They're different tool sets for different business models. So at the foundational level, there might be some differences. But once you've got that established, then I think the question becomes, um, are you more interested in having all in one tools or best in class tools? And this is a distinction that uh, one of my um, best friends likes to make all the time. Uh, so shout out to Kathleen Rass, because I, I love how she presents this. It's like best in class is, it's like the active campaign would be the best in class email tool because it has pretty much every feature you could possibly imagine, right? Yeah. Um, and all in one would be something more like kind of where Notion is headed right now, where it can do a wide variety of things. It could be a knowledge management hub. It could be... Um, a, a resource pool. It could be your task manager. You could plan 
large scale things or small scale things. You could use it for personal use. You could use it for business use. It's It's got a wide variety of uses. And the thing to keep in mind though, is that all in ones have to divide their time. Just like I was describing me dividing my time between the core offers that we're playing with right now. Um, that is a very different uh type of approach for, for a software company or um, an application development team to take on is to like try and do more things in more areas of their end users, like business or life or world or whatever. Right. And it's just like us as humans, the more we take on, the less we get across the finish line. Right. So the feature set often in all in ones is broad, but not as deep. Whereas um, you have a best in class, it might be more narrow, but the odds of it being deeper go way up. That's interesting. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. So um, this, this is so great. I love this information. I really appreciate it. it it's sort of expanding my um universe and, and my thought process. And I can imagine that it's doing the same for uh, the listeners. Um, and speaking of them, will you share with them how uh, they can find you, you know, whatever you think they should know? Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to say hi on social media, I am creatrix of order pretty much everywhere. Um, and if you are interested in the productivity community that I spoke about or consulting support, then you can head over to thedatamavens.com forward slash A-Y-B-G for um, Accelerate Your Business Growth. Okay, the data mavens, wait, repeat that to me. Thedatamavens.com forward slash A-Y-B-G. Got it. Okay. I just want to make sure I get it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Well, my gosh, thank you so much, Sandra, for spending this time with me and explaining this stuff. It is obvious that uh, not only are you really knowledgeable, but you enjoy this stuff. I eat it for breakfast. Totally. <laughs> I can tell it's so great. <laughs> well, thank you. And listeners, thank you. You're who we're doing this for. Thank you so much, Dan. It's been a blast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about, and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.